Well, welcome to the latest edition of the ASA podcast with Dr. Chris Keel. That's me. I'm thinking of renaming this podcast this week, Stump the Professor, because we have some questions. Some of them are semi-predictable, but we have one that's going to take me a little while to answer, so I'm probably not going to get to it today because it's going to require a little bit more digging, and I'll tell you what that question is momentarily. That's the fun part of doing this, however, so anytime that you have a question, don't worry about expressing it or giving me the opportunity to hold forth. Some of this stuff I watch very carefully. Others are a little bit more off the beaten path, and that gives me an opportunity to go out and start digging and looking for other things. So one of the questions was, is the continued lower price of oil in the 40s and 50s pandemic-related, overseas-related, combination of both, maybe other factors thrown in? Is there any expectation that oil ever gets back to where it was a few years ago? The majority of the reason for the $40 to $50 range for oil is, it is a combination. It's the pandemic and the impact that it has had on demand. So we've seen considerably less motorist activity. Uh, The commutes have been cut. People are working from home. So we're not seeing as much driving as we normally would. Some of the freight demand for fuel has returned. So if you look at how trucks are consuming the rail sector, um, air cargo has not come back, so jet fuel demand is still down. Another major factor, though, is something that's been going on for quite a while, and that's simply the impact that U.S. oil production has had on the world oil production. We all know this game. We've been watching it for years. But the OPEC countries, Russia, some of the others, would periodically want to see oil prices higher. And as a result, they would reduce production. They would try to create artificial shortages. They wouldn't try to create them. They did create them. So we would end up in a circumstance where demand would be in excess of supply. This would inexorably drive oil prices up. But to do that if you're an OPEC country or Russia or many of the others, was a fairly complicated process. You were not able to shut things down relatively quickly. It took you a while to get things shut down. It took you a while to get them back up again when you wanted to start meeting that demand. And, of course, you were always dealing with members of OPEC that were not really on board. Uh, Over the years, the Saudis would try to rein in countries like Nigeria and Venezuela, But they were often uncooperative because they needed the oil revenue more than the Gulf states and Saudi Arabia. That particular kind of strategic approach began to erode when the U.S. was becoming a major oil producer. The fracking operations that we're now familiar with are much quicker to come into existence and much easier to shut down temporarily. They're only designed, really, to last about three years. You get maximum production year one. You get about half of that year two and half of that year three. So when it came down to reacting to prices, they could, and they do, very quickly. They watch the spot price. They watch the forecasted three-month price, and they react much quicker than you're going to see the OPEC states able to. So whenever there was an attempt as there was at the beginning of this year, to try to reduce production coming out of the OPEC nations, well, we filled that gap. 
and kind of thwarted the attempt by the Saudis and, and Russia to raise prices. That's one of the reasons that we've kept its stability. Now, it's frustrating, really, for the frackers themselves because they would like to see prices in the 50s and 60s. I mean, this is actually a little low, even for them. The other part of this question was, will oil get back to where it was a few years ago? Most likely not, um, unless something happens in the U.S. and we stop producing, um, and that now is considerably less likely than it might have been, I mean, even a month ago. We are just now kind of understanding where we may be in the next four years with the new administration, but we do know pretty definitively that we're still going to have divided government, and that means that the likelihood of a democratic Green New Deal is considerably reduced. That would have discriminated against fracking. That would probably not have shut it down completely, but it wasn't going to be good news for the oil industry. That is now unlikely to happen, and as long as the U.S. is in the fracking business, we'll still have the situation we have now. The projections for oil prices for the coming year, still in the 40s. When you go out two or three years, still 50s and 60s. The only thing that would be driving the prices back up would either be a significant reduction in supply, which would mean some country in the world just not providing oil, and at this point there's no sign that anybody wants to do that, or a major increase in demand, and that doesn't seem too likely either. There's kind of the, a third question related to this, which is what ASA members who do business in oil and gas should be looking forward to. It's not going to be the boom that it's been in past years. Uh, you're seeing a little bit less demand for a lot of the things that go into the oil sector. Pipelines are not in as much demand. You're not seeing as much demand for things like frac sand and, and all the sort of things that were driving that oil boom a few years ago. And you can tell that that region is not on fire as it has been in the past. I used to, when I gave talks, I used to refer to my own little economic indicator for what was going on in the Dakotas. And I referred to it as the Motel 6 Index. You could tell how active that area was by how much it cost to stay in a Motel 6. During the peak of that oil development in that area, a Motel 6 was renting for $400 a night, and they were booked up months in advance. The bloom is off that rose now, and the Motel 6 in Williston, North Dakota, is back to around 40 or 50. <laughs> so you're not seeing the explosive growth that you once saw. There is not a great deal of of upside in the immediate future, I think we're still going to be dealing with a lot of the COVID restrictions. People are still going to be working from home. The office environment is still going to be a little bit limited. But it's important to understand that that has begun to change even just in the last couple of months. The number of people that are enthusiastic about working from home has diminished. The number of businesses that want their employees to work from home has diminished. So I think at some point, probably mid to late 2021, you'll start to see some of that traditional commuting activity getting back. So 
No short-term good news, little bit more balanced in the medium-term, long-term. I think there's still room for expansion, room for growth, uh, but it's, it's going to be a little more selective. Uh, there will be some companies that are doing quite well. The, the big change that's taken place in the oil fields is that many of the small startup companies have gone by the wayside, have either gone out of business altogether or they never did intend to be in for the long haul. They just wanted to be bought and merged with, and that has happened. So you have fewer players that are active in that region, but those that are active are in better financial shape. So the question that we're going to get to later, because uh, I'm still doing some investigating, there is a question of what are you hearing about LNG lately? Where does the sector fall into play right now? It's cooling off, will it heat up? This is one that is really in flux right now because of what's going on in Europe and what our trade relations might look like. So I'm going to defer any definitive comment on that until our next podcast. It's something that I've been looking into the last couple of days, and there's just a lot of conjecture about what's going to go on with LNG, both in terms of how we export it, where the market is for it, um, where demand is going to be. It's something that has done a lot of, of shifting in the last few years. At one point, we were really looking at doing a tremendous amount of LNG import. Now we're talking more about export. So stay tuned. Um, I'm going to be talking about that in future episodes of this podcast. And again, thank you for sending in questions. This is great. It gives me an opportunity to talk about stuff that you really want to talk about instead of what I think you want to talk about. Until next time, this is Chris Keel. Thank you.